welcome to Full Blown Coverage, just another football podcast no one asked for. I'm Mark Sayer, and I'm joined each week by Andrew Irvin and Ken Menard. Boys, what's sizzling? Hey, man, I care. I think people care. We need to change the tagline. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe next season people will care. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, conference champions have been crowned, and we are less than two weeks out from Super Bowl 55, which means we're one week out from our super special Super Bowl spectacular (laughs) that you definitely don't want to miss. Spectacularium. But first up is our final segment of Getting to Know You, Getting to Know All About You. Drew and Ken have already been in the hot seat, so it's my turn today, and I'll start by giving the cliff notes, and then Drew and Ken can embarrass me with follow-up questions. From third grade on, I grew up on Vashon Island, Washington, a small island off the coast of Seattle. Drew was one of my best friends and grew up with me on the island and still is to this day. I was going to say was. Was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, was it a month or was it longer yeah. than that? where we didn't talk for a few months during high school. We'll get to that. Maybe not. <laughs> Anyways, high school. I was a, uh, I was a basketball and soccer junkie uh, up until high school when I was accidentally placed in debate as an elective my freshman year. Two weeks later, I quit the basketball team to focus solely on debate. I was the Washington State champion my sophomore year and competed on the national circuit for the rest of my high school career. Uh, I was also a film geek. I went to college at the University of Puget Sound on a debate scholarship. I forfeited the scholarship after my freshman year because I was completely burned out and had recently discovered acting. So I became and a debater, mostly because they didn't have a film. Program. Yeah, debate will wear you out, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it does, let me tell you. It turns you into a dick too. The funny thing was Khaki all the local, uh, the, like the other schools that we debated against, I learned later in college because one of the guys that was like one of our rivals was on the UPS debate team. And he told me uh, that my nickname in the Washington State debate community was Slim Shady because everybody thought I was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. You must have done a good job then, man. Uh, I studied abroad at the University of London Union for a year because they had a class where all we had to do is watch plays. And I was able to spend most of my time uh, traveling to other countries when I wasn't watching plays. Sure, yeah. uh, after graduating, I moved to Los Angeles and went to work for Xenon Pictures, which at the time was the largest independent Spanish language and urban programming distributor in the United States. Uh, where I'd spent the last two summers interning before that. The rest is a blur. I worked my way up at Xenon into marketing and acquisitions. I helped negotiate the licensing of films for distribution, uh, but I left the company to make films instead of release them, which is what I had always wanted to do. I formed a production company with two other childhood friends of Drew and I's uh, that were from Vashon that were also living in LA at the time. Did a couple of films under that banner, and then I went out on my own as an independent producer and line producer fast forward nearly 20 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. Although I've also pivoted into screenwriting and have plans to direct my first feature in the near future as well. I recently moved back to Vashon and in addition to film, I've also been working on a variety of projects such as full blown coverage. And I think I can speak for Ken. We don't have any questions. You answered them all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to, I just. <laughs> I was, See, this is why you, yeah, this is nothing. why you do it this way though. Then I get to avoid having to answer questions. Well, I just wanted to throw out that uh, I'm sure Drew is in the same boat. We also studied abroad in college. I studied many abroad in college. Anyway, <laughs> what, uh, what, um, what was the first major movie that you worked on? Well, I'm I, everything that I've done is independent um, films, so I wouldn't call them major movies like blockbusters. But my boss at Xenon, Lee Savage, this is kind of an interesting story. My first day on the job, he lent me his like super cool brand new Beamer. And he had me drive out to Simi Valley to meet Tamika Wright, which was Easy es wife. 
and to drop off a bunch of paperwork because Lee was buying the film rights to Easy es biography. And so I went out there, I met Tamika, I dropped off the paperwork. The real interesting thing is that me dropping off that paperwork, those life rights are what became the foundation of 2015's nice. blockbuster Straight Out of Compton. That's awesome, man. He was the producer yeah. and the That's original awesome. writer on that script. That's awesome. Yeah. It was I have a follow-up. I have a follow-up to that. Have you ever been involved in writing, producing um, a movie that you think if it was, if it got more marketing, that it would be like a big movie? Like what movie is like, what movie is like the best movie where you're like, this is actually really good. Just not enough people know about it. One of the ones that I've done. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of um, one of our films called Doe, D-O-E. Uh, you can watch it. I think you can even watch it for free on Amazon now, but it's, it's, it's everywhere. You could watch anything on VOD or digital um, unified pictures wound up releasing it. It has Timothy Davis, who will be a newcomer to most of you, unless you watch billions, he's the chef, the private chef. Um, and, uh, but it's got Tatiana Ali, Matthew St. Patrick, Mira Sorvino, but the film is super cool. It's about a guy wakes up on a park bench. He has no idea how he got there or who he is, but he can speak hundreds of different languages and he starts a new life. He gets married to Tatiana. They have this really cute little kid. And eight years later, he's now a professor of linguistics at a university. And this guy shows up that shares some of the same residual memories that he has that he can't really piece together. And it sends him sort of tumbling back down the proverbial rabbit hole to figure out who he actually is. And it's got a big twist. And it's it's a real think piece, kind of lo-fi, sci-fi nice. thriller. Um, Love sci-fi. So, yeah. it's not, so it's not ZFL. No, I mean, if you're talking about stuff, if you're talking about stuff that I've written that hasn't been made yet. Yeah, I've written everything, like things that haven't been made that you're like, oh, if I actually had a backing yeah, of a I've major- got a couple. We, I mean, the one that we have in the pipeline right now uh, is called Victor, which is a contemporary adaptation um, of Frankenstein that I'm super excited about. Um, I have a question about, let's get more personal. Do you ever regret, like, like you were a good basketball player, you were good at sports and you yeah. kind of gave it up for the debate team. Do you ever have like dreams where you're, where you're like, man, what if I, what if I stuck to kicking? Field goal? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, look, I, 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 there's a part of me that, you know, I did probably miss out on um, some fun uh, experiences, but, but I, you know, I traded one set of experiences for another and I wouldn't trade the debate experience for anything. I mean, one of the coolest things about being that competitive at the, at the national level in high school was that Gareth, my debate partner and I, we got to travel all over the country, almost like you were playing on a college team, but in high school. Um, and I thought that that was super fun to get to see the United States you know, pretty early, I, I was looking at a map uh, like a couple months ago and I was like, I've been to like 46 of the states. You know, I think it's like the Dakotas and uh, Alaska and some other um, Maine. That hmm. I we should go on a road to. trip. Those are my hey, three. Hey, Mark, yeah. I have a non-film related question. If offered the following two shots of alcohol, which one would you take? All right. Southern Comfort or Dark Tequila? Ooh, probably Dark Tequila because I've I have a really bad experience with Southern Comfort. <laughs> you and everybody else, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, it's that one okay. for me is definitely one of my kryptonite liquors where I'm like I can't I can't touch it just because of the memories that mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Hey, here's yeah. another one for you. If you had the choice, would you choose peanut butter or chocolate? I wish I could choose both because peanut butter and chocolate is like my so favorite. If you had to, yeah, combo. have to pick one. If I had to pick one, it would be peanut butter. Me too. Yeah. Me and, too. And, you, and here's the thing, though. I was kind of like on the peanut butter hate train until like the last mm, three, four years. I don't think I had had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in like 20 years. 
And I made one probably four years ago. I was probably stoned and I ate it and I was like, Oh my fucking God. Yeah. This is like one of the best things I've ever had. How have I not been eating these for? It's the most inexpensive, delicious snack there is. Especially like late night. There's something to, and I, you know, it's weird because obviously with, with the jelly, you know, you, you've got quite a bit of sugar content in there and you're eating bread, which normally gives me heartburn if I eat it late. But for some reason, it's like one of the only late night snacks I can get away with that like doesn't totally destroy my sleep. Last question for me. Um, how long have you, this is the first part of the question. It's a two part question. Okay. How long have you owned uh, Seahawks season tickets for? Since the late nineties. What's, your most memorable game that you've gone to there? Probably the fail Mary. It must've been a weird atmosphere in the stand. It, the, the fail Mary or, or, and I'm, I'm going to totally blank on what year this was. It was, there's probably like 2005 or something, but whatever game that was where Jay Feely missed the three field goals, it might've even been more. It was, he missed multiple field goals in that game. The, I was there. Against, against the Giants? Yeah. It was 05. Yeah, it was 05. Yeah, that's what I thought. How many field goals was it? Three or four? It might have even been like fucking five. I don't, all I remember about every time, every it was a like, of false starts. Yeah. Every, yes, exactly. Every year the Giants went there, they had like 11 false starts and would set a record. Well, you know why? That's when Seahawks games were still affordable and we had Maple Valley up in the house instead of yeah. freaking Amazon in yeah. the suites. Exactly. I got a, I, before we move into football, I got one other story that I, I, I forgot that I wanted to tell that was hilarious. One oh, of you like, hitting my dad's car or no? Oh no, not that one. <laughs> let's, let's not tell that story. <laughs> Every time I think about it, I feel so guilty. You know, what I was going to say, like the very first week that I moved to Los Angeles and I, I was staying, uh, on the couch at my friends, Noah and Mike's and wound up becoming the third roommate that just lived on the couch for like a year and a half before we got another place. But we had this uh, neighbor who was named Jeff and he's super nice guy, but I always kind of felt bad because we would be coming back like on a Friday or Saturday night and, you know, we'd have beers or we're having people over and we'd always see Jeff come in and he would go into his apartment so one night I'm like, Hey Jeff, why don't you come hang out with us and, and have a couple of drinks? And I discover he's a big horror film buff. And so am I fucking love horror films. And so we get talking and we're having, you know, drinks and smoking some cigarettes out on the balcony. And we're talking about horror films for like two hours. The ones we love, the ones we hate. And I'm starting to get several drinks and I'm starting to get a little fucking drunk. And I go on like this 20 minute tirade about how much I hate the final destination film franchise. Right. And he lets me go for like 20 minutes. And then he's, he's such a nice guy. When I stop, he just sort of looks at me and he goes, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to feel bad. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm Jeffrey Reddick. I created the final destination franchise. And I was just pulling fucking shoelaces out of my teeth, but I am glad that it happened to me because this happens to everybody in LA at some point. And I'm glad it happened to me early, but the number one rule is you, unless it's like your close friends and you know who you're talking to, if you don't know who you're talking to, do not talk shit about movies because (laughs) the likelihood is, the the degrees of separation are so small. You're probably talking to somebody that was either mm-hmm. you know, worked on it or has worked with somebody that worked on it or is a family member or a friend or a spouse or a significant other. <laughs> but I, that was for me, like probably one of the most embarrassed I've ever been. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll save, uh, we'll save the master P altercation for the next getting to know you. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to come back to part two on that. All right. In other news, we're going to start mixing some stuff up at FBC, starting with our weekly roundup, which we are now retitling previously on NFC Championship 
Pack versus Bucks, fourth quarter, 205 left on the clock. You're trailing by eight. It's fourth and goal, and Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. A madman refuses to allow 2020's most valuable player to take a shot at the end zone and elects to kick a field goal instead. Drew, take me inside the mind of the American psycho known as Matt. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with I do think it was the wrong choice. Okay. But, but I think it was a lot closer of than be, to being the right choice than you think. Like, think about what had to happen in that situation. Uh, you had to convert a fourth and goal from the nine-yard line. You had to convert a two-point conversion. Then you still had to stop Tom Brady with time on the clock from kicking a field goal. And then you still have to win in overtime if he doesn't do the – if you do all those things and Brady doesn't score. But you're still going to have to do all those things at some point anyway. Well, what, what do you mean? You don't have – I mean, you're you still – if, 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 you if you kick the field goal, you still have to stop Tom Brady from – You mean if you score a touchdown? From scoring a, a touchdown or a field goal. Because if he scores another field – if they score another field goal, then you have to score a touchdown and go for two anyway. You might be right there. My brain's not working fast enough to figure that out, but. I mean, I do know that there is some, I mean, when I was looking at Twitter, like right after the game, because you, you have all these people that are making the mathematical argument, you know, statistically, it's like something that's way above my pay grade. Um, but what, maybe there's some statistical thing that makes sense But the thing. I, the one stat that I did see um, was that from 94, to present, there were 115 games in which a team trailed by four to eight points on fourth down in the red zone with two to three minutes left on the clock. Of those 115 games, only three teams attempted a field goal before the Packers did it in last Sunday's NFC Championship. Mm. Only three okay. of them. That's less than 1%. So I was halfway, I was halfway through my point. Yeah. My, point was, my point was actually just that it was the wrong move. It, either either way, you're going to have to make some things happen. But what was actually interesting to me, I was, I was actually listening to uh, a Mike Sando podcast the other day, and he had a former GM on that basically floated the theory that they might have been out of red zone plays that they had any confidence in converting. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting because people have mm-hmm. red zone plays that they, that they insert. And so then I was like, oh, let's see what they had done earlier in the game in the red zone. So I looked it up and they had, here's all the plays of the game that the Packers ran inside the 10 yard line. First and goal at the six is this starts at the first quarter and goes to the fourth quarter. First and goal at the six incomplete pass. Second goal at the six incomplete pass. Third and goal at the six incomplete pass. Next drive. First and goal. They do score a touchdown to Tanyan. Next drive. First and goal at the two. Run for no gain. Second goal at the two. Incomplete pass. Third, third and goal at the two. Touchdown to Devontae Adams. Then it goes downhill. Two-point conversion is incomplete on a pass. Next drive. First and goal at the eight. Incomplete pass. Second goal at the eight. Incomplete pass. Third, third and goal at the eight. Incomplete pass. So Rodgers was two for ten in 11 passing plays inside the ten, and you need to convert two of those in a row. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was interesting, kind of a, a, a thought. Like, you, you still have Devontae Adams. You still have Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's excusable. I, I started this by saying I agree they should have gone for it. But I do think in the back of their minds, like, they were not good inside the 10-yard line all game long. And they yeah. probably didn't have a play that they knew that they would score on, let alone two in a row. Yeah. I just, I don't know. How, I mean, how relieved were Bucks fans to see him not go for it? Because I know if it's me, if it's the Seahawks playing Rodgers, I'm still sweating bullets if it's fourth and five. And I'm 100% confident he's going to go for it, that he's going to score, you know? Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I, I, I do think it's just – you're going to have to stop Brady no matter what. I mean, that's really the real problem for them is to put themselves in that position to begin with. Cause the last thing you want to do is give Brady the ball back with two minutes in any mm-hmm. scenario. 
they did. And they did. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. And they did. I, I just think that, uh, I don't know, man, you, you're sitting there. Everybody wants to second guess the guy, but he, he took the sure thing. And then, I mean, his thinking is, well, we have Aaron Rodgers. We may be, we may, we have, you know, if they have all their timeouts, how many timeouts did they have left? Do they have all their timeouts? Uh, I think they, they did. did because have remember, all, they, they took did that, have all they three that, timeouts. They took that, yeah. which actually was really smart when they took that offsides call. That was a very smart call. Yep. I actually thought that was super now, smart. Now, if they have all their timeouts, right, there's a good chance that they're going to get the ball back. And is there any other quarterback you'd want for one play in the NFL other than maybe like Kyler Murray or Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. So yeah. even if they, even if it came down to them having about 30 seconds left on the clock, let's see, let's say the bucks run it. All right. So they score, they score, they get the two minute warning, right? So the bucks run three plays, they stop them. So they call timeout. Maybe you're looking at another minute off the clock. And that's actually, this is something that Romo is great at is being like, Oh, they're going to have about a minute 38 left to run, you know, whatever uh, okay. when, when he's doing games, but like doing game they, math. Maybe, yeah, maybe they have like 30, maybe 40 seconds left for one of the, the best singular playmakers who throws Hail Marys better than probably anybody else ever in the history of the league. So, I mean, obviously he had confidence in Aaron Rodgers and he just took the sure thing. Well, and figured if though, they do get the ball back. Did he but, have confidence in him? I mean, I think you're I think you're right. I I, I think he I just think... took the point. I think he just took the points, knowing that we're gonna get obviously knowing we can get the ball back. But I mean, you also have to take into account you have like the greatest winner in the history of football on the other sideline, who's probably better at this scenario mm-hmm. than Aaron Rodgers. So you, you gotta I you know, I mean, I'm stating the obvious here, but touchdown, t- touchdowns are going to win this game. It touchdowns will win are going to win these games. I, right. I think all three of us agree that they probably should not have kicked the field goal. It's easy to say now, but to Ken's point, that wasn't the reason they lost the game. It's the hot topic, but in the first quarter, they had uh, a first and goal. They threw it to Devontae Adams three times in a row. He should have caught one of them. Another one, he was just out of bounds, and they ended up kicking a field goal. Um, we haven't talked about this yet. The touchdown that they led up at the end of the half was oh, the most God. egregious moment of that game. Yeah. Um, and then the fumble on the other side by Aaron, jo- Aaron Jones on the other side, that's a 14-point swing right there, just mm-hmm. allowing that touchdown and then – turning the other one in. And then lastly, a lot of people are pointing to Tom Brady's picks, but the last two picks that Tom Brady threw, uh, the offense went three and out on both of those possessions with a total of negative five yards. So Mm -hmm. yes, that decision was bad, but the Packers kicked themselves in the ass this whole game. Like, I think I texted you guys this. I think I I texted you guys this. Like, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Tom Brady, but this was one of those games to me that the Packers lost more than the Bucks, Bucks won. They just won. made so many dumb mistakes the whole mm-hmm. game. And they still and they still were within five. Yeah, the Packers beat themselves. It was a classic Seahawks move to me. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I do think that what I, the interesting thing to me, though, is that and this is something I think that you have to take into account as a head coach too, when you're making these kind of decisions, which is to me, maybe the, the worst um, or, or, or most outrageous part of LaFleur deciding not to have Rogers throw this is what it does at a mental level to the team and a Rogers specifically, right? Not just for this game, but potentially moving forward into next season too. Uh-huh. And so let's, let's take a moment and listen to Rogers when asked about the decision to kick a field goal in the post game press conference. Yeah, that wasn't my decision, but I understand the thinking above two minutes with uh, all of our timeouts, but yeah, that wasn't my decision. Obviously he's unhappy with the decision, but does this sound like a quarterback who has any intent on playing for green Bay next season? If he has any sort of option. I, I, I actually, this is something that I was thinking about today. Now 
to whatever level you've played organized sports, Drew and I played college sports. At the after a game, especially one like this, Mark played. I mean, like too. what? Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, those the debate debate bowl. Well, I should. Um, I, I did play one season uh, of football and one season of soccer, like junior year, which I told you guys about the football disaster. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, when you lose, everybody wants every. You're gonna. You may say some things that are just kind of off the cuff because you're like, "Shit, dude, we just lost the biggest game of the year," and everybody wants our athletes or public figures to be what we want them to be. Mm-hmm. Or we think that they should be instead of just saying like, shit, dude, who knows how many other chances this guy is going to get? You know, obviously they, you know, they, they had one player they drafted take a snap in that game. Right. After making it to the NFC championship game the year before. Right. So th- they're obviously in, in some in some regards letting down the best player that their franchise has ever had. Now you can yeah. make an argument for Favre, but you know, I mean, Rogers, let's be, let's be real. Rogers is a better quarterback than Favre, right? Okay. Now everybody wants him to be what they want him to be. It's like the guy just lost, like give him a break. Like everybody wants to hear all these things and everything. Like he, all he real all he was saying was like, maybe he was saying some things that just came out the wrong way because he was really emotional. And I just mm-hmm. I, I and in some regards, I think it's really unfair of us to expect have those expectations on athletes because we're not they're not saying what we think that they should say or what we want them to say. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when Drew and I worked at ESPN, they wanted us to walk around in khakis with a binder of nothing all the time and being miserable because there was this perception that you're doing your job better. Mm-hmm. Right. Not necessarily the case. I mean, let's be last week we were talking, we were saying, I brought up the point. If you bring in someone who's never watched football before, they would have watched that game and say 12 and green is better than 12 and white. Right. right? Even that game. So like for him to not for people, first of all, there is absolutely no way that green Bay is going to do anything to give him what he wants. He's playing for the Packers or he's not playing. He's going to have to retire. They're not, they're not trading. They're never going to give in to him. Right. So I just feel like it's, it's in some ways it's unfair to expect an athlete to say all the things that we want them to say, or we think that we should, that they should say when they're in a very emotional situation, like he was on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. And Mark Murphy came out this morning and said as much that they had no intent on, you know, he's going to be a Packer if, if, you know, no matter what, um, but it is interesting to think about if if he was traded, right? What's the what's the best fit for him on another San Francisco? Team? That's what I think too. That or the Pats, maybe. Either one. He's yeah. a good fit anywhere. He's yeah. yeah. a good he, fit anywhere. Yeah. But San Francisco would be good. They don't have that many weapons. Um, Debo Samuel's pretty good, man. He is. You're right, but he's not. You know, Devonte Adams. Yeah, nope. That's true. Um, I hate to bring it back to the the situational stuff, but the soundbite reminded me of that. The weirdest thing that I didn't mention is that he had no idea whether he had three downs or four downs to score because we didn't mention that he had two times to run. Like it looked pretty obvious that he could have run for the end zone, um, and it maybe if he knows that he has four downs to score he tries one of those runs knowing that he's going to maybe end up at the two or the one right Uh, so the the miscommunication there was kind of weird like you you'd think that the quarterback would be on the same page uh with knowing like he seemed in the dark that when when he mentioned kicking that field goal or not like you got to be on the same page with your quarterback about how many downs you have to score. That seems important to me. Yeah. You would think that would be important, but I mean, that's, you know, to your point, they were just off their game all game. Really? Well, another thing also let take into account, like, and and yes, they coached in the game the, the year before and it was his first season. And, but they also played a better team. Let's be Mm -hmm. real. Right. But also, I mean, there also takes some 
rep with uh, you know repetition comes you know um, familiarity and ease of doing whatever it is you're doing, right? I mean, also look, man, they're not in that position very much. They don't play a lot of close games. Like the games that they lose, they usually pretty decisive. The games that they win are pretty decisive. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Lafleur is only in his second year. He's not even forty years old yet. What is he? Thirty-seven. Yeah. Like also, no, you, you know, no. Get this. Forget. He's actually forty-three. Is he? Oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. forty-three. Okay. Damn, he's almost as old as I am. But anyway, like <laughs> he, you know, people, people always like will say something like one of the points you can make about the bills is they're not used to being in that situation. Well, just like the players are not, the coaches aren't either. Right. Right. Preseason football is just as much about your coaching staff coaching in game situations as much as it is for the players to get repetition to, um, you know, make, make the team whatever, and just get used to playing and stuff like that. But also Matt LaFleur doesn't really coach in a lot of situations like this. So, you know, and I, he's 20, what, 26 and six now in two years. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, they lost the game. It happens. You could blame people all you want, but what are they going to do? They can't go back and play it again, but they can all learn from it and move forward. I mean, Rogers isn't going anywhere. They're going to make a concerted effort to build around him more in the draft and free agency they're going to be fine. They'll be right back where they were next year. It's too much doom and gloom about it. You lose, you move on. What are you going to do? LaFleur is actually 41, not 43. I was incorrect. I was just going to say, look at Andy Reid and how much he's grown as a, I mean, he was known as the guy that botched end of game clock management and fourth down decisions. And now people can't get enough of Andy Reid and the decisions that he makes. Like he's, He's come a long way as a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and sometimes it takes time for people to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the other quarterback, Tom Brady. 21 seasons in the league. If you set aside his rookie year when he sat behind Bledsoe in the 2008 season, which he missed with a torn ACL, he'll have appeared in 10 Super Bowls in 19 seasons, including Super Bowl 55. He has six championship rings and is in the hunt for his seventh. Statistically speaking, he will have played in 18% of all Super Bowls, in 23% of all Super Bowls since he was born, and in 48% of all Super Bowls since he was drafted. If healthy and starting, Tom Brady has over a 52% chance of going to the Super Bowl. Ken, I think we finally have to ask ourselves, how important is Ugg's sponsorship to a successful marriage? Ah, let me tell you, you buy your wife a pair of fluffy-ass slide Cali collages, I think it's pretty damn important, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm going to let Ken take this, but real quick, um, I got my wife Ugg slippers for Christmas. Did you? And now we're having a baby. So you tell me how important it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the uck. Reproduction. Well, um, first thing, first thing I want to say is this. Um, I am not a Tom Brady hater. I celebrate uh, his whole uh, collection, to be honest with you. Um, I think like I, I think I'm I'm very intrigued by Tom Brady as just somebody who uh, sees somebody who's really successful and how they do it as an example to everybody else who wants to be successful and wants to know how you do it. Now, um, I think I texted you guys the other day. Um, I'm going to, I'll go back to uh, just, I've always just been amazed by the guy. So my first year at ESPN was 1999. That was his senior year at Michigan. Now, he was on and off and fighting with Drew Henson for the starting job that whole season because Henson was this huge number one recruit in the country, was local, and everybody wanted him to play, right? But Tom would not allow that to happen because he was just so good. Now, what people often forget is that that year, they played in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. Now, it wasn't Alabama like we know it now. In fact, that was like uh, that was like more of an aberration of their seasons back in the during that time. But he led a comeback to beat Alabama in that game. Now, here's a good nugget for you. I watched that game. 
I was a for spicy one of Ken's spicy nug. I watched that game at Chris Felica's house, the bear from game day. Nevertheless. So he led that comeback, right? So we're, the season's over, you know, I, I'm doing the NFL draft. Now my job is to find as much footage as possible of all the players that we have on this list of 200, 250 from Mel Kuyper, right? Cause Todd McShay wasn't even there yet at the time. All right. Now we're doing all of our work, this, that, and the other thing we're going through all this tape. So back in the day, they recorded every camera on a tape. Not like it is now where it's, it's all digital. Every, every play of every game is recorded and saved on a file. Right. So the number one quarterback in that draft was Chad Pennington. The second quarterback taken was Chris Redman. And the third quarterback taken in the third round by the Niners, the team Brady wanted to play for because he grew up rooting for him, was Giovanni Carmazzi from Hofstra. Now, Giovanni Giovanni Carmazzi, when they did the Brady Six uh, NFL Films movie, declined to be interviewed and apparently is a goat yoga instructor in rural California. Okay. <laughs> LOL, all caps. Very good. So we're doing all this draft prep. We're looking at all these ISO reels, high end zone, all this type of stuff. Finally, we have a conference call with Mel Kuyper. Now, leading up to this point, this is probably like March drafts in April. Leading up to this point, Tom Brady is nowhere, nowhere on our lists, not even to be considered, nothing. So we're on a conference call with Mel Kuyper. It's our PAs and our producer. And we're, Mel's just kind of giving us rundowns and everybody. Now, if you recall, the number one pick that year was Courtney Brown from Penn State. I believe LeVar Arrington was taken number two. Okay. Also, Sean Alexander, the Seahawks, was drafted that year. Jamal Lewis. Um, yeah. Sebastian Janikowski. Brian Erlacher. Not a bad draft, right? Tom Brady, nothing. So we're wrapping up the call, and we're sitting at the producer's desk. And we're on his phone and he's Mel's like, all right, anybody, anything else? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I got a question. I go, Mel, what about Tom Brady? Doesn't have the foot speed. End of the call. All right, guys. See ya. That's it. That's all he said. Doesn't have the foot speed. Right. Right. That's it. Now I watched this guy all season because I was cutting highlights for the highlight shows in and around the rap shows in and around like, half times and things like that. And I'm like, this was the best quarterback I saw that year. And I saw them all. I cut highlights for all of them. I cut a lot of video packages, all that type of stuff. So Tom Brady's name didn't even come up. All right. Didn't even come up. Now I was the PA that was traveling to the draft. Okay. Now what we did was we dumped every individual, everyone, every highlight was on an individual tape. I had a rack of all these mini beta uh, beta SP tapes sitting next to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So about a week before the draft, our lead PA, his name is Charlie Dixon. I believe he is an executive at Fox now. Okay. Charlie just says, just walks past me in a hallway. He's headed to an edit suite with like a stack of like five or six tapes. And he's just like, Hey man, you know what? We got a little time. I'm just going to knock out a package on Tom Brady just because I want to make sure we're covered on the players that people know and have seen. Right. So he not, he puts together five, six, maybe seven plays on Tom Brady. Um, and we're sitting around, never thought about when Tom Brady's going to get drafted. Never was even mentioned in meetings. Nothing. Wow. Sure enough. The 199th pick in the sixth round, Tom Brady gets drafted. Now, our producer, his name's Dan Steer, went to Michigan. So, yeah. So, we built a segment around it. Mike Tarico was the host. And he just says, Hey, a familiar name to all of you, some of you uh, college football fans out there. Tom Brady was drafted 199th overall by the Patriots. Now we had the highlight. We put it in, right? 
typical NFL draft highlight, but they created a nice little segment around it just because at that point in the draft, you're just like drawn at straws to find stuff to talk about that highlight. And that segment now airs probably every single year during the NFL draft. Wow. And that's kind of, and that's just the, you know, how, and that's how it why happened. he's an executive at Fox. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Dan Steer, Dan Steer is no longer an NBC uh, after they made cuts and I am not in TV at all. So uh, how about that? But I just always felt like that was a really interesting story because it, yeah. it was like, and, and, and in the Brady six, the movie, uh, the, you know, the film that they did, that's what Mel said. He ran like a five, six or a five, seven at the combine. And ever was like, this guy, this guy's not going to make it. Now, obviously he's proved everybody wrong. And then some, but yeah. um, I also, it's just very odd. Like, it's almost like, like 20 years of my life have gone by with this guy in my life and these very odd attachments to him. Okay. Now um, I also was at the Super Bowl when they beat the Rams. Uh, I was sitting in the opposite corner end zone from where Vinatieri made the kick. So that was pretty cool. But when I, when I worked on Monday night football, okay, we would travel in on Saturday morning, Friday night on the West coast, Saturday morning, uh, East coast central typically. Right now what we would do is we would land, maybe throw our bags, uh, in the hotel. And then we'd head over to the home team practice. Now in new England, obviously we drove up there because it was two hours away, but I would get to go to the home team practice and watching that guy practice was pretty friggin' amazing. Not one ball hit the ground. The ball sounded like a feather when the players were catching it. He, you know, he was like, it was, I mean, obviously him and Belichick, it was very regimented, this, the blah, 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 blah. I mean, obviously we'd go to Cleveland Browns practice and it was a fucking mess. And they're like <laughs> fucking around practicing like fake field goal reverses and stuff. <laughs> and everyone's like, I can't wait to get out of here. And like, this is like the day before the game, the two days before the game. And they're like, you know, very regimented. Now he walks off the field and his offensive linemen are like ripping the tape off their hands and stuff. And they're balling it up and just throwing it at him and stuff like that. So it just kind of shows you how, like how kind of human he was. And he's like, Hey man, knock it off. But he was like really cool about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that, that just shows you what type of guy he was. You know, I, I saw him went to Peyton Manning pretty much ran the Colts practices. Same with Drew Brees uh, for the saints. That was pretty amazing too. Um, but I just, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, uh, since since he was drafted in 2000, just the last 20 years, all, think about all the things that your life has gone through, the changes in your life, moving. I, I mean, I got I owned a home, got married and got divorced. Right. I, I moved to Austin. I had kids. Tom Brady was the fucking quarterback in the NFL that whole time, that yeah. whole time. It's yeah. unbelievable. I'm more I everybody there's a lot of people out there who are anti Tom Brady. They don't like seeing him be successful. I couldn't be more in the opposite direction. I marvel at the guy. I mean like I think he's an example for people who want to be successful. You go on LinkedIn and there's so many assholes on there who are fucking horrible at their job but trying to build a brand for themselves, right? Especially, you know, in whatever industry it might be. This guy's the real deal. He's the truth. That's who people should want to be like if they want to have any measure of success in anything that they do. So me personally, I marvel at the guy. I'm rooting for him. I think they're going to win. I think I think it's 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 actually great. Good. Nice take. <laughs> we have to we have to wrap up the pod now. Or yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 the draft story is amazing and uh, it w- was was super interesting to me. Look, I, uh, you know, for me, Tom, as a person, I despise him. I fucking hate the guy, and that has nothing to do with him as a player. It has everything for me to do with his personal politics. Infer from that what you will. But as a player, I respect the hell out of the guy. You can hate the term goat. I know Drew does. 
I do too. Completely arbitrary and subjective, but so is every sports debate that's not grounded in facts and stats. But if you're looking at the statistics, I don't think there's an argument that he isn't the greatest quarterback of all time. If it means you have over a 50% chance of going to the Super Bowl each yeah. year that he's on her center and a 66% chance of winning the Super Bowl. If you do go for me, that's the ultimate barometer of success for every team each year, the yep. Super Bowl championship. And what that dude has done is the most remarkable thing in the NFL ever to me. Yeah. I'll be quick. I'll be quick because I know you guys probably th- think after my text messages after that game that I'm anti Tom Brady, but I'm actually just tired of the storyline because it's been going on for so long. Um, like Ken said, it's been 20 years when this shit started. Mark and I were drinking Boone's farm in his barn and puking up stuff. And now we're almost 40 years old, but I actually spent some time thought about it. And, um, I think the reason, part of the reason he's so polarizing, even the people that are bringing up the fact that he threw three interceptions in this game, but they still won, is he's he's kind of like Derek Jeter in in a sense where, in football you can control the game more than in baseball. It's hard. It's much harder to do that. You can't be a quarterback where you have so much um, control over your t- team success. But the fact that he just demands physical mental excellence out of everybody like that was the difference to me with the bucks i mean the the quarterback play obviously the interceptions that winston threw this year he makes smart decisions but you can't you can't really quantify what he does and ken brought it up in those practice sessions and everything like that into into just raising the team you plays for play for like the intensity you attack every single situation. And I think that's what is hard. Like Tom Brady has never been other than 2007. I think, you know, the best statistical statistical quarterback in the NFL, but his teams always do well. And it's because of the way that he approaches all these things that you can't quantify in some sort of stat or anything like that. Obviously his career stats are up there because of the fact that he's, going to be playing until he's 90 years old at this point but i don't know that's what it was to me and the only people that i i've seen the same things is jeter and him and lebron and uh it's it's just amazing the way that he can he can actually will his teammates to be better than they are sign of true leadership man i mean i think i think you hit uh the nail on the head with the thing that Tom has that not very many quarterbacks do, and, and he definitely is probably the shining example of it, is this intangible thing. And to me, whether you want to call it luck or what it is, but that dude, same thing with Russell Wilson, I have to say as a, as a Seahawks fan, it doesn't matter how much time is on that clock. It in, Unless it is physically impossible, if there is a – one percent chance that maybe you could win tom's the guy you want under center and he's proved it time and time again Mm -hmm. and that's a thing it's not a stat you know it's just something he can do and it's an intangible but i think that dude is i mean like we said when we're talking about green bay last thing you want to do is give that guy the ball back with two minutes Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean, it permeates throughout the team and he sets a good example for everybody. He gets along with everybody. There's, you know, I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody come out and maybe, you know, whether they said it through the press or anything, said something really bad about the guy. And like I was saying, when the offensive linemen are, you know, messing around with him at practice, it just kind of shows you what type of guy he really is behind the scenes. You know, look what he's done for Antonio Brown. He lived with him. You know, Antonio Brown, you didn't hear a peep out of him this year. But he, he's, you know, I, you know, you can have that Belichick versus Brady debate, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that Brady brought with him to Tampa that he learned from Belichick too. You know, I mean, they, they needed each other. They molded each other as a coach and uh, as a player. And he just, um, you know, like you said, Drew, he has unquantifiable measurements that 
nobody saw at the NFL combine when he ran a five, seven, you've seen the pictures of him from the combine too. He looked horrible, man. But the guy just did. The guy just has it. He's just determined. He's got a, you know, he has a will to succeed and he, and he does it. It's like a, a light. It's, it's his life. It's how he lives his life. All right. Well, let's move on to the AFC championship. Chiefs win convincingly and move on to their second Super Bowl appearance in a row because the Bills had too many kicks. Goals. Ken, explain to me how Buffalo's <laughs> game got switched on some ludicrous shit. Yeah, man. Again, I, I'm going to go back to this. I said it before about Lafleur, but Sean McDermott's still a young coach. That's a it, that was a game that I don't think that. Tact- tactically, they may have been prepared for, but mentally and emotionally, they were not. And you saw it at the end of the game. They were starting fights. They were getting penalties, pushing people around. Josh Allen did it too. When he throw- threw the ball at Chris Jones's helmet when he was on the ground, you know, because he thought he got was hit late. I don't think mentally and emotionally they were prepared for that game as much as they should have been, as much as they were tactically. And, um, you know, that plays into it, too. Again, McDermott needs to learn how to coach. And those such a great coach ain't going anywhere for a long time. Loves being in Buffalo. But he, uh, you know, they need to, uh, you know, they need to learn how to play and coach in those games. Just like, you know, just like I was saying about Lafleur before. First off, for the Chiefs-Bills game, I, I ate two turkey legs at the beginning of the game. And then I took two naps <laughs> during the game. So take everything I have to say now with a grain of salt. I did time out my naps really, really good. I saw most of the good, the most important parts of the game. One of the naps was uh, during halftime. But I will say, I, I saw something today. Patrick Mahomes has not lost by more than one score since 2016 when he was at Texas Tech. Like, Wow. I don't know. The Bills, the Bills went up 9-0, I think, maybe 10-0, 9-0. Yeah, they missed an extra point. Um, like, that doesn't phase him. I, not to spin it forward too much, but I still feel like the Chiefs are underrated in a weird sort of way, um, especially on defense. They have a great secondary. Like I said last week, which still holds true, they've lost one game in the last 500 days. Um I was to the Raiders and kind of a flute game earlier this year. And the spread on this game is three right now. Um, I know we're not talking chalk talk till next week, but the fact that the spread on this game is three, uh, they're going up against a five seed. It's this, I, I looked this up. It's the second lowest spread of a defending champion ever. Uh, the lowest being Seattle who lost, but I don't know. This team just seems to be completely underrated to me. And I do people think they're worse. Do you guys, you guys think they're worse than last year? No, I think they're better than last year. Yeah. To be honest with you. So do I, 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 I mean, I got to tell you, I don't have much to add to anything that you guys have, have already said. The only thing that went wrong for the bills is they ran into the reigning Super Bowl champions. Mm-hmm. Look, fucking unstoppable and drew as he just pointed out he's been saying it for several uh of the last episodes somehow the chiefs are still underrated i'm as guilty as anyone for doing that uh that being said i think this was a remarkable season for the bills and since they only have to make a few decisions on players to keep next Uh season i expect this team to stay largely intact I think this is just the beginning for a new franchise in buffalo and i'm super excited to see where they go yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Like um, the mark of a good team is winning close games under all uh, different types of circumstances, whether, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe like a fluky play that gets you behind early. Um, Buffalo couldn't handle the situation and the Chiefs can. And that's what they've done all year. It's almost like they play better when they're behind. Um, mark of a good team winning close games, you know, like Drew said, in some way, in many ways, we underrate them because they have played in a lot of close games, but shit, they won them all. What do you want them to do? Lose them? Yeah, exactly. They won them. Yeah. I looked, I was just curious. So I looked up all the spreads of teams that are defending 
their title and nine of the 12 teams have been more than touchdown favorites and the chiefs are a three point favorite. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just surprising to me. It seems, seems weird. I, oh, I don't, I don't get it really. Like the, the I combination. Tom Brady. The, yeah. I mean, okay, that's fine. Still. I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bucks won. I, I'm just saying, from a Vegas standpoint, it surprises me a little bit. I mean, bit. it's what it's it's what you just said when we were talking about Tom, and, mm-hmm. and as Ken just pointed out, is that intangible thing. It doesn't matter that that the Chiefs are the unstoppable, you know, force that they are. It never matters with Tom. It nope. doesn't matter who it is. It'd be the best Everybody team of all time. He somehow still has he still has a chance, right? Always. Yeah. Well, I'll say I will say New England was two of those teams, and both times they lost. True. Good point. Of all people to play in his home stadium in a Super Bowl, I know <laughs> the one but, that but everybody the irony, hates the of most. Is the the Super Bowl curse gets broken on the one year where you're not going to have a full have stadium. fans? Yeah. 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 They mostly have home fans. You know, they, they didn't even, they didn't even change the prices of Super Bowl tickets this year. The ones that are available are still costing you an arm and a leg. The year that I went, I bought a face value ticket in the second level of the Superdome for $400. That was two February of 2002. You guys think they'll let FBC on the pirate ship? No, but we should be on radio row. Have we gotten that invitation yet? Call our travel department. I'll, I'll have to up. check our FBC email. Our <laughs> well, let's not get too much more into uh, the Super Bowl because we have a super special Super Bowl spectacular next week. Um, but that does mean that we're skipping Chalk Talk this week uh, because we're going to talk about the game next week. That sound means it's time for our grab bag. All right, our grab bag this week. Genies are real, and you find a magic lamp on the beach. You get three wishes, but you can't wish for more wishes to kill anyone or to make anyone fall in love. What are your three wishes Wait, and why? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Why would I wish for anybody else to fall in love? <laughs> I don't even want to. Like, I don't give a shit if it, you fall in love It's supposed to mean including yourself. Including make myself? Somebody fall in uh, love with get, you. Overrated. Get out of here. Hey, these are the same conditions Aladdin had. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Alfred. where I got them from. Dude, we have a friend named Aladdin. How about that? Do you really? Yeah, he's going to be on the yes. Oh, he'll be on the pod. Absolutely. Um, I mean, honestly, my first wish is to be is for a billion dollars. And I pretty much think after that, I could kind of do whatever the fuck I want. I I have fuck you money at that point. Okay, so here's we're modifying this. Then you give me the wishes and I tell you how the genie fucks you. (laughs) But they're all one dollar bills. Get out of here, man. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take a billion and one dollar bills. I get um, yeah. That's one hell of a strip club trip. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'll take them in pennies. I could Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, yeah fuck it. I'll just go in and cash them out every day. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, like, happiness. I don't know how you wish for that, though, because yeah. there's going to be things in your life, things that are going to happen that are going to make you unhappy. I mean, what what like, is that? Like, what is what does happiness look like uh, to you? You know, my mom just... never calling me again. That's one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, nah, I, I don't know. Um, so all of a sudden your house turns into a Burger King. I, I guess I would, I would, I, <laughs> oh, you know, spicy what? nugs. Oh, that would be, dude, stop. I'm, yes, Burger King's legit. I don't know what you guys are thinking. The pickle bites, it's the pickle bites. Um, what. Right, man, I've been trying to think about I'm trying to wrap my head around this. For, let me let me ask you this one time. then, because because a popular one is usually immortality. Do you think that's a gift or a curse? Yeah, that's curse. terrible. I feel like it's I've seen curse. that I've seen that movie, but I can't remember what movie that is. It's because it's 10 million of them. It's the <laughs> Indiana Jones Faustian bargain. Indiana yeah. Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, there you go. You think I've seen that, Ken? You know what year that's from? <laughs> I think it was 1988. <laughs> so no. Um 
immortality. I would not want immortality. I think that's too much of a burden. Like it's too much of a pain in the ass. It's like, I got to deal with this shit. <laughs> like how much longer do I got to deal with this shit? Like now I'm 45 and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. So I would not want immortality. Um, nor would I want to make anybody fall in love. Wait, um, so you have what you're foregoing your two second wishes. Yeah, I think, I think I'm just going to, yeah. After that, man, let's, let's fucking roll the dice, dude. We're, Vegas trip. Brilliant. We'll go during Super Bowl weekend or <laughs> then take me to a Vegas trip with a second wish. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not my wish. I'm just saying when I have a billion dollars, you guys can come to Vegas with me. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll go on a yacht in the Mediterranean and get a bunch of supermodels from Italy and we'll be having a great time. <laughs> and I'll just enjoy the money. Make sure my kids are uh, my kid for my kids to be happy. Yeah. Boom. And um for my mom to never call me again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a t- it's it tough, man. The dogs in the house, fix yeah. the credit score. Just, just having no- and having have a nice house with a nice big kitchen. There you yeah. go. There you go, Drew. What about you? Okay, I'll get a nice one out of the way. I'd like to cure world hunger. There you go. Do no, I'm just things. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not wasting. <laughs> what are you wasting? Wasting a wish on that? What are you in a? What are you wasting a wish on the? What are you in a beauty pageant? <laughs> That's the first thing they would say. I'm not wasting a wish on that. That was a joke. Okay, <laughs> I thought about this today. Okay, I want to be eight years old. That's wish number one. And I want Bo Jackson's athletic ability for the rest of my life. And. I want $186 billion. That way, once I'm too old to play sports, I can just buy whatever sports team I want. I can set up my friends and family for the rest of their life. Um, I can have yachts and houses all over the world. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I, I think I'd be pretty good with that life. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good life. I've got my, my first one is to be able to understand all languages. That's a good one. So I could go anywhere, wouldn't have to, you know, get around. It'd be great. Everyone speaks English now. It's not true. Sort of <laughs> true. It's kind of true. <laughs> um, uh, what would my second wish be? I don't know. I know what my third wish would be, and that would be, I, I know I can't have more wishes, but I would wish for more genies. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, see, I fucked you. <laughs> yeah, um, gosh, I mean, m- money, yeah, obviously, some denominator. You know, you know what I would do? I would do something that would guarantee that I would always be able to make as much money as I wanted. So it'd be something like, I would like to always know week one winners of any NFL season. Just so I could just so I could bet on week one. I wouldn't want to know the Super Bowl winners because I wouldn't want to ruin the season. I just want to know week one. So week one every year, I'm laying all my money down. Okay, here's the answer. You want tomorrow's newspaper today, today. but you can yes. choose what parts you want to read. Yes, there you go. This was like uh this was an actual TV show called Early Edition. <laughs> so on Super Bowl Saturday, you could not read the newspaper. You're like, I've made plenty yes. of money this season. I just want to enjoy the Super Bowl. Exactly. I mean, why not just have the money and then just do whatever you want? And then yeah, you'd you have, need- be able to you'd be able to gamble on any game you wanted and still have that thrill of watching the game to find out the end result. This is also won. true, but can you imagine a week in which I parlayed 16 games and hit <laughs> not 16 games? <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I have 186 billion dollars. I'm by 1 billion the richest person in the world. Do you think I care yeah. about a 16 team parlay no it would still be fun like i could throw a billion on the, on that it's everything's yeah. relative right yeah bet, bet a billion bucks on the super bowl that's crazy bet a billion yeah that's crazy bet a, you'd be able to bet a <laughs> billion kind of, dollars you and your life would not change and be like here's yeah, a I'll billion bet, dollars <laughs> i'll bring i'll bet you guys a billion 
IOUs that the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Okay. So when you make <laughs> what is this dumb and dollars, dumber? Dumb and yeah. dumber. You got a suitcase of IOUs. They're all yeah. there, man. <laughs> we're, we're good for every, I'm good for every last one of them. <laughs> Chiefs are going to win. It's not going to. Nah. Yeah. It's, well, Bucks we'll get into win. that next week. Bucks are going to win. Underrated team. Yo, Look, we're, Bucks are, are, we're already Bucks are gonna getting win. into next week's podcast now. That means it's the end. Spoiler alert, the Chiefs and the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) If you've got a draft topic for our all fantasy everything segment or a question you'd like us to consider for future grab bags, please email fullblowncoverage at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at fullblowncvg. Drew, Ken, any closing comments before we sign off? Aren't they supposed to like and do something else? Like subscribe and, like and subscribe follow us like subscribe share yeah spread it yeah. to the world fpc F- fpc all right that's all we've got for this week's episode but tune in next week for our super special super bowl spectacular full blown sorry for being so coffee today i was so coffee today